God has demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You had no reason to come to us other than you loved us. For God so loved the world. We know that there are the things of this world that we put our affections on. And those things aren't lovely. And we meddle in the things that we think we love. But they're traps. But even while we were caught in those traps, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, God, for your love. We love you. And we love coming to express our love to you. Lord, I pray you just continue to stir up that love within us. Not a person in here who has an obedience problem. Not a person in here who has a sin problem. Not a person in here who has any of these issues. They are symptoms. Sometimes we have a love problem. We set our affections on lowly things. But you have told us, oh Lord, set your affections on things above. And is there anyone above you, God? We love you. And we thank you for being you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, so glad to see you on this blessed wet morning. Amen. I love it. I love it. I told somebody just a second ago, uh, we need the rain. The lakes need to be filled because I got to go fishing. That's right. <laughs> well, it's been an awesome uh, year already. And as we begin each year with 21 days of prayer and fasting, uh, knowing and expecting the Lord to, to do great things, because when you focus your attention and your affections on him, he, he blesses. Amen. And we're not, you know, we're not just looking for his stuff. We're just looking for him. And, and he, there's nothing that he'd rather give us than himself. Amen. Well, during our, each year during our 21 days of prayer and fasting, I, I get away uh, for a few days, what I call my visionary retreat. And I, I want to make sure that I'm hearing from the Lord clearly. That's where the fasting comes in. And, uh, and, and then I get away to, to get a, a clear vision for this church. Now, the Lord's given us vision for this church as to what we're specifically to, to be about. But I also want to be continually getting it defined and refined. Y'all, y'all follow me? And, and so as the Lord continues to bring clarity to the vision that he's called us to, uh, I like to bring that back to our congregation each year. And so for the next uh, today plus five weeks more, I'll be sharing, I'll be voicing the vision. I'll be sharing with you what the Lord has uh, shown us that we, this is our vision for Sand Spring. If you are at a, in an organization that has no vision, do you know if you're ever accomplishing what you're supposed to accomplish? So how many churches do you, have you been a part of? I have. That had no vision. It's like, well, why do you exist? Why do you, what, are you, what are you doing? Well, we're doing church. That's the purpose of No, it ain't. That ain't never been the vision of the Lord for just to do church. The church is supposed to be on mission. Amen. Y'all know that, right? The church has been intended to be on mission. And so what is our mission specifically? And our mission specifically at Sand Springs, the Lord has clarified and continues to clarify that. And so I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. I will continuously come to Luke 4, 18. 
And uh, I, I know I have in the past. Uh, and, and just uh, I hope you didn't get tired of it because there's a whole lot more coming. Amen. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And so as, as we're looking at this, Luke 4, 18, I call it the Isaiah mandate because it is in his hometown that Jesus rolls out the scroll of Isaiah and begins preaching a message. And as he's preaching this message, uh, he's just reading scripture. And then he goes into some illustrations of the scripture, and that's when they wanted to, to kill him and throw him off a cliff. But in, in, in Isaiah 4:18, he reads this passage, and he's actually reading Isaiah 61. Uh, of course, the numbers weren't added until later, but uh, the Spirit of the Lord, this is Luke 4:18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What a powerful passage of scripture. In this passage of scripture, Jesus says, Jesus is saying, this is my mission. This is what I'm here to do. His first message, and it starts there in his hometown, his first message, he says, this is what the kingdom of God is about. This is what, these, these are the effects, the five effects of the cross. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to break down all five of these effects of the cross. But when, when I was seeking the Lord on uh, uh, a few months back, that uh, Ephesians 4.11 passage that I also quote a lot, and Jesus' gift to the church, and it says, He himself has given some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be, uh, to, to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers. For the uh, training up of the church, the building of the church, to do the work of the ministry. So my question is, okay, Lord, what is the work of the ministry? What are we supposed to be training our people to do? What are we supposed to be teaching and showing and walking alongside? And this is what we do. This is the work of the ministry. And the Lord made it very clear. It's this Isaiah mandate. It's this passage of scripture to, uh, to, to preach the gospel to the poor. Sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed, claim the acceptable year of the Lord. There's five things in that passage of scripture. Number one is salvation. People need to get saved. We can do a lot of good in our community, but if people aren't getting saved, have we really done anything at all? Everybody with me? We must be sharing the gospel. Uh, it's awesome to feed people who are hungry, to clothe people who are naked, to, to, to shelter people who are homeless. All those things are good, but they're just an expression of God's love towards people. But the greatest expression is sharing the gospel with them. They need to get saved. Is it, it's not okay to just house them on earth and yet they go to hell. Everybody with me? That's number one. Share the gospel. Number two, to, uh, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And we call this soul care. Soul care. Anybody in here been wounded? You don't have to raise your hand because everybody in here has been wounded. And you carry scars with you. You carry wounds with you. And, 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 and when we look at people who struggle with addiction, we see people who, who have just destructive things that they do in their life. We know that that's not their problem. That's their coping mechanism because there's a deeper problem. They're wounded inside. And so we recognize that when, when, when God saves you, that word saves means more than just gets you to heaven. 
It is a total salvation. And that there are, there are wounds in our lives of, of things that we have done ourselves or that others have done to us and that you got to get past your past. I, I, I see senior citizens who continue in destructive decisions. And I, I, I recognize all they're doing is they're still trying to cope with something that was done to them as a child. 70, 80 years old. I've counseled with an 80-year-old who had father wounds so deep. His dad had been dead 40 years. And his father wounds were so deep and continued in a destructive lifestyle. We got to help people get healed. We got to help people get healed up from these old wounds. And so this is because God loves humanity. God so loved the world. He sent Jesus. And Jesus so loved the world. He sends us. Amen. And his, his, his full expression of love is not just getting you to heaven, but getting you healed before you get there. Amen. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I might get a little passionate here and there on this passage of Scripture. My goodness, this is, this, is, this is everything. This is what we're supposed to be doing. To preach the gospel to the poor sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Liberty to the captives. If you, if you don't think a, a Christian can be demonized, can I just sit with you for a little bit and tell you some stories? There are people who are just still held captive. Say, oh, can I be a... I, and, and, and let me just explain the difference if you start to get theological on me and start to get well worked up. That a, a Christian can't have a demonic spirit. There is a difference between oppression and possession. You know what I mean? Yes, a Christian who the Holy Spirit dwells within him cannot be taken over by a demon, but he can sure get worked over. <laughs> that just came to me. That was real good. I liked that. <laughs> he can get worked over. <laughs> and so uh, there are some who have opened up doors to the demonic in their lives. And I'm telling you, if you open up a door, guess what's coming in? And they will work you over. And you and you're, you you become a victim, but let me tell you, you were probably a villain before you ever became a victim. You just opened the door, and so people need deliverance. People need to to be delivered, and 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 usually, what happens was that old wound caused you to open the door. Y'all with me? That old wound, we say, okay, I, I, I'm gonna. Uh, this hurts too bad. I'm going to cope with it some way, and oftentimes we cope with it in, in ways in which opens the door to the devil. And darkness comes in and takes over. And, and, and here's what sin does. Sin will first entice you, and then it will entangle you, and then it will entrap you. And you can't get loose. I, I want to quit this, but I just can't quit it. Because first it just seems innocent, and I, I, just, want, I just want to meddle with that a little bit. You ever, we used to do this with a youth group. We would uh, hand out those big marshmallows, you know, big old marshmallows. And uh, we'd hand out big marshmallows. All right, everybody sculpt you something. Make, make, create something. Well, it don't take long messing with a marshmallow. Next thing you know, you have got a mess on your hands. Like, all right, let me see your masterpiece. 
And they're like, ah! <laughs> and then we, and we say, oh my goodness, you got a mess on your hands. Let me help you clean yourself up. And we'd roll them out some toilet paper. Just here, clean yourself up. <laughs> and the teenagers don't think. They're like, oh my gosh. And then all of a sudden they got a bigger mess on there. And, uh, and so that's what sin does. It first entices you. And then it entangles you. And then it entraps you. And you can't get free. Well, we're here to help. Amen. Amen. God loves, he so loves the world that he sent Jesus. Jesus so loves humanity that he sent us to help heal his people. And so that's what we're going to be about. We're going to be about our father's business. Amen. Preach the gospel, heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind. This is physical healing. Your soul needs to be healed, but also sometimes your body needs to be healed. And if you don't believe in healings, go back out there to the board in the hallway and start reading the praise side. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Oh, man, we've been seeing God heal people. We, uh, uh, it, one, of the, one of the ones that I've been thinking a lot about, uh, one of our churches uh, right down the road, Hope and Murkison, their pastor's wife was eat up with breast cancer, chose not to have uh, uh, treatment, and the Lord healed her. Boom, gone. Amen. Amen. We can share testimony of testimony. We got a bunch right here in this room. A bunch right here in this room. And like that lady who died last year during our 21 days of prayer. <laughs> She's alive and well. Amen. Uh, she, the, the video's out on, uh, on, the, on, the, on the internet. The, on the Facebook, Chrissy said, don't say the Facebook. You sound old. Anyway, <laughs> it's out there. And uh, she shares her testimony. How almost an hour's worth of chest compressions. And yet no damage, no broken bones, not even sore. Amen. Amen. Ain't God good. And then there's another fellow over there who was supposed to be dead by now with cancer. No treatment. No cancer. Amen. It's all through the house. It's all through the house. There's... There's testimonies everywhere. I mean, I'm a testimony. I, I was uh, at Faith Fest. I was, getting ready to, I was getting ready with this Bible to step up in the pulpit when that gal comes up to me and says, what's going on with your shoulder? I was like, well, it's been messed up for about a month now. She prayed over it and it's, oh, it's good now. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Uh, the Lord heals still. We believe in healing because you can't deny what you've experienced. Can't deny what you've seen. It, it, it's not like he's going to do all these except physically heal. It's not, we, don't, we don't believe in uh, this uh, mentality, this theology of cessationalism where the works of the Holy Spirit ceased when Paul died or when John died. No, he's still working. Amen. He's still working. And Jesus says, I love humanity so much, I'm sending you to go out and do these things. So he sent us to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent us to heal the brokenhearted, soul care. He sent us to proclaim liberty to the captives, deliverance. He sent us to give recovery of sight to the blind, physical healing. And then finally, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And the last phrase goes with that phrase, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And this is called restoration. This acceptable year of the Lord is a reference to an Old Testament uh, uh, event, I guess you'd call it, on the Hebrew calendar that every 50th year you'd have a year of Jubilee. 
And at the year of Jubilee, everything that was lost or surrendered got returned. Let me just kind of help you understand that if this is all new to you. Uh, With the nation of Israel, they were allotted certain sections of land. And God does, and still does not want his land to be pilfered out to other people. He still don't. Israel's land is supposed to be Israel's land. And even if our American presidents want to hand away, give away Israel's land, God says, no, that's still my land. It's the eternal covenant in my scripture. I'm not going to get into politics, but, but God so wanted Israel's land to remain as he allotted it that when people were getting impoverished, sometimes they would have to sell their land or sometimes even sell themselves into slavery in order just to survive. But every 50th year, God says, everything returns back to as it was. Everything goes back to as it was. God said the year of Jubilee in which that, that, that debts were paid, uh, the slavery was ended, land was returned to its original owner, everything went back as it was. Restoration. Well, that's an Old Testament uh, principle for the people of Israel, but there's a New Testament principle for the people of God that God wants to restore everything that Satan has stole from you. He wants to restore your family. He wants to restore your, 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 your well-being. And so the, this last point kind of sums up all the other points. The restoration of everything lost to the kingdom or to the domain of darkness You know, Satan has always been about trying to steal what's God's. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly or life to the fullest. But uh, all of that was a good introduction, right? Amen? All right. So let's get into the sermon. (laughs) We're going to start with point number one. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me. If you are a child of God, if you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, can I just help you understand some spiritual truth here? He anointed you too. You weren't saved to sit. You were saved to serve. You were saved to do this stuff right here. And the Great Commission, when Jesus commissioned us to go out and to be about his father's business, it's, these are the five things that we're supposed to be doing. It's all broken down into this, this passage of Scripture. These five things right here. Man, we can busy ourselves with so many things, can we not? I know that some of you, during your time of fasting, you got your schedules cleaned up a little bit. Praise God. Praise God. Because we can get so caught up and, and, and like a dog chasing our tail and doing the things of the world that we fail to do the most important thing. Jesus, as a 12-year-old, said, don't you know I got to be about my father's business? And, and we must, too, be about our father's business. And this is our father's business. He has saved us for a purpose. And so if you have been saved, then you have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's read it again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Now, you recognize this is Isaiah, the prophet, prophesying of Jesus. And when Jesus hits the scene, that's, his, that's right where he goes. This is what I'm anointed to do. But you say, well, that's Jesus, and I'm not Jesus. I want you to turn with me to First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter one, 
and verse 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. It's a spiritual truth. You don't, you don't understand it, it don't change it. You don't agree with it, it don't change it. If you are a child of God, you have been anointed and appointed to do this work of the ministry. Amen. And we will be held accountable, not just for the things that we have done, but also for the things we haven't done. It's like, Lord, uh, I, I need to clean up some things in my life. Oh, it's more about what you're not doing than it is what you are. I, I, need, to, I need to be obedient. That's what I need to be. He, now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Amen. Spiritual truth. It's a principle. It don't change. Just because you don't understand it, don't change it. Just because if you don't believe it, it don't change it. I can stand out there in the highway and say, I don't believe in semis. It don't change it. <laughs> it, it, it still is. And so we, we recognize this is the spiritual truth. You have been anointed because you've been appointed. And anytime the spirit was given to someone, even in the Old Testament times, they would anoint kings and priests. They would pour oil over their head. Why? Because they had a job they were called to do. And so the anointing of the Holy Spirit is not for you to just get warm fuzzies. It's not just, oh, man, I just, oh, that felt so good. Wasn't church, didn't church feel good today? Didn't, what did it feel, didn't it feel good? Well, I hope the feelings come, come because if you have an emotionless salvation, then you're a poor, poor soul. But, uh, but they, the anointing is for the appointing, and what he has called us to do is the work of the ministry. And what we're reading here is the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom. Satan wants to steal, kill, destroy. He wants to take away, steal what's, what's God's. And yet it is our job to restore. It is our job to expand the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. You, even if you don't amen it, it's still true. Amen? <laughs> Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, this anointing. Have y'all been anointed? Yes. Amen. If you're a Christian, you have. If you have given your life to Jesus, you have. Anointing is not just for super saints. Even some of you sort of saints are. <laughs> I'm just, that was bad. That was, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> uh, sometimes I just go too far. But anyway, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, it is obviously, this is a messianic prophecy. This is obvious, obviously speaking of Jesus the Messiah, and it's giving us hints and clues to where he's going to come from, what lineage he's going to come from, even what city he's going to be raised in. All of that is in that verse of Scripture. In verse 1, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Well, who was David's dad? Jesse. It's from this lineage of David that the Messiah would come. And then it says, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. And that word is netzrit. It's it, when you see an olive tree, and, and 
An olive tree is kind of known as an immortal tree. Because even if it dies, out of, its, out of its roots, out of the base of the tree will sprout new stems of olive trees. And so we're going to Israel in, in May, and we will see olive trees that are 2,000 years old. Um, they were there when Jesus was there. Amazing. But the word for this branch that springs forth out, it's called Netzerit. Well, guess what? Uh, Jesus grew up in a city called Netzerit, or you might know it as Nazareth. We'll go there too. So all of this is a clue to Jesus that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. That also lets you know what tribe he's from. And then it also lets us know where he is coming from. And then it says, verse 2, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Right before Jesus, now last week I talked about Jesus going into the wilderness to be tempted. What happened right before his ministry began? They saw the spirit of God alight on him like a dove. Well, not only does this tell us that the spirit of the Lord will alight upon him, but it tells us what that spirit does. It's a spirit, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And you have that spirit too. Amen? For what purpose? So I can win some Bible trivia quiz? So I can be some kind of an egghead Christian that knows more than anybody else? No. In fact, if you're one of those kind of Christians, I'd also like to visit with you. Because you're hurting the kingdom. You just think you're more intelligent and know more than anybody else, but you're doing nothing than you ain't nothing but a Pharisee. And Jesus was so, that's the one group that he wore out. Those who thought they knew more than anybody else were more religious than anybody else. He said, you're blocking the door to the kingdom. You're blocking. He said, I'd rather hang out with, with those in the red light district than hang out with you religious types. Woo. <laughs> I got serious. Why? Because he didn't care about people. Jesus cared about people. He wants to see them saved, their souls cared for, set free, and restored and healed. And all, care, all the Pharisees cared about was being right. They wanted to know more than anybody else. They were more concerned uh, uh, about what was proper than they were about people. And so, why does the Spirit of the Lord come upon us? It's a spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Because if your spirit that is within you is not the big S spirit, but is a spirit of pride, you operate now the wrong spirit. Did you say that last one, the spirit of the fear of the Lord? What should be obvious out of every one of our lives is the spirit of humility. 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 If we want to puff ourselves up, then, then, then we're worshiping ourselves. And the blessings of the Lord can't be on that. I've got to wrap this thing up. I want to turn to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to keep going. I'm, going to, I'm just going to keep going. In Genesis chapter uh, 1, uh, I'm going to also go there, sister. I'm going to go 1, 2, and 3. That's why I said i got to start wrapping this up. So this vision that the Lord has given to us and every other Christian, this vision that the Lord has given us to do our father's business because God so loved the world he sent Jesus and Jesus so loved the world that he sends us. 
this vision must first start in my heart, right? Many of us just, well, if the church ever gets right. Well, the first thing is you got to get right. I got to get right. That's why we fast. That's why we become so clear. That's why we, we get so, uh, so humbled through the, the act of, uh, of, of fasting so that we can hear and see clearly. And, and, and so I got to get my heart right. Because sometimes this heart, man, it's desperately wicked. And I can get stirred up on the wrong things and get completely, completely cold on the right things. And so I got to start it in my heart. I think we know that, don't we? But can I show you that it also then needs to go from this heart to my home? To my home? In Genesis chapter 1, God creates Adam and Eve. But what you're seeing in Genesis chapter 1 is, a, is just kind of, he's throwing out there the overview of creation. And then he comes back in chapter 2, and then almost like he creates Adam and Eve again. No, he just describes in greater detail of what he did in chapter 1. So in chapter 1 of of the book of Genesis, we're going to look real quickly in verse 26. Uh, Then God said, let us, is us singular or plural? Plural. Anybody familiar with the phrase Elohim? Elohim is the word for the Lord or God. But when we look at the word Elohim, anything in Hebrew that ends with I am is plural. It's plural. So the word for Lord is plural. Elohim. Elohim. He said, let us make man in our image. Is our singular or plural? It's plural. I know you didn't come for an English test, but it's plural. So... The triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, says, let us, the three of us agree on this thing, right? Holy Spirit, you agree? Yes. Jesus, you agree? Uh So let us make man in our image. He's a plural God. And then, let's just keep reading. Let us make man in our image. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created mankind or humanity. You with me? So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. You tracking with me? Now, in chapter 2, it goes to further describe exactly what happens. He creates Adam, and he puts Adam over the task of naming all the creatures. How long do you think it took to name all the animals, birds, fish, creeping things, reptiles? took a little bit. You think it got done in a day? I struggle with this because I, I believe that when it says the evening and the morning was the first day, we're looking at a 24-hour period. And yet, as we're looking in this passage of Scripture, it took Adam some time. And even in the naming of the, all the animals, even in the naming of all the animals, he, he's looking at every, every, every boy horse has a girl horse. Every boy lion has a girl lion. Every boy dog has a girl dog. Y'all tracking with me? I'm not sure you are. (laughs) Verse 18 of chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. 
Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called every, each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to all the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Adam names all creation, and I think a loneliness sets in. Where's my girl? I, I'm, I'm all alone. God's created every animal, and every part has its counterpart. Where's my counterpart? God said, it, it's not good that man should be alone. You notice in Genesis chapter 1, it says, He created them, male and female, he created them. He gave the overview. And now in chapter two, he comes and gives the details of that overview. And that God says, uh, Adam, get to work. And then Adam finally comes to realize, I'm missing something. I'm missing someone. God says, not good that man should be alone. We recognize in, in verse 21 that Adam is put into a sleep. Why didn't God make Eve out of the dirt the way he made Adam out of the dirt? Why? Because there's something, a deep spiritual truth that is being revealed to us in the scriptures. Yeah, he could have, he could have, he could have created Eve the exact same way he created Adam. But he said, no, 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 no. There's some deep spiritual truth right here. Puts Adam to sleep, takes a rib out of, out of Adam and, uh, and, uh, and created Eve. And I've got all kinds of jokes coming to my head and I'm not going to say them. Okay. <laughs> and the Lord God's deep sleep had fallen on Adam and he slept. He took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh of his place. And the rib was which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. And Adam, as, he's, as he heard these words, uh, a father and a mother, can you imagine Adam and Eve saying, a, a what? What's a father? What's a mother? They didn't have, you recognize he wasn't telling, telling Adam and Eve this for their sake because they didn't have a father and they didn't have a mother. He told us this for our sake. That in a marriage, a marriage is so vitally important that there can be no, um, uh, no opposing affection. But that we are given to one another. Let's read it again. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This mandate, this Isaiah mandate, first starts in our heart, but then it goes straight to our home. How long was Adam on the earth until Eve was created? I don't know. But why didn't Satan go to Adam? Why, why didn't he not go straight to Adam before Eve was even created? You ever think about that? Oh, if, if, there he is. He's busy, man. Uh, a, a guy will agree to anything when he's busy. Dad, can I go? Straight? Yeah, whatever. Just go. Guy will agree to anything. I'm trying to name the, I'm not, all the, all the animals in the world, I'm supposed to name them, and you want to ask me something. <laughs> and so uh, Satan could have came to Adam while he was busy naming the animals and all creation, and yet he did not. He waits until Eve comes onto the scene. And when Eve's on the scene, Satan use, has used the same strategy throughout all of time. Why? Because it always works. It never fails. Yeah. What does he do? He goes in and separates. Yeah. He goes in and separates. 
if you'll see in chapter 3 of Genesis, you recognize the story. Now the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you should not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows in the day you eat of it, you'll be, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Has God already said that he made man in his likeness? And in his image, yeah. But Satan, he also knows that God did not give man all the knowledge that he could have. You know why he didn't give man all the knowledge that man could have? Because man didn't need all the knowledge. Man had God. This is what the relationship that the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, said, let us make man in our image, husband, wife, God. Triune relationship. All marriage, I don't care what the, the, the JP says, all marriage is a three-way commitment. It's a covenant between the husband, the wife, and God. And that triune relationship, that's what Satan wants to come in and separate. Come over here. Come over here, Eve. Look at that fruit. And it says that she saw it was desirable food and desirable to make one wise. And it was the three points that I preached last Sunday. And, and so he separates her aside. And, and so that's what Satan always does. He wants to separate us aside. He wants your marriage to be so stinking lousy that you got to go somewhere else to find fulfillment. He wants you to be in disagreement with your spouse because he knows anything divided is defeated. And the home is the building blocks of society. And that's why Satan's on such a mission to destroy the home. Say. Satan says, oh, you need knowledge. No, I need God. He's all knowledge. And as long as I'm walking with him, if I have a question, he can answer it. If I want to know what that's like, he can tell me. Satan says, no, you need a thing rather than a being. You need something rather than someone. And this is what he's always been about. This is why Sand Springs, as God has led us to foster the family, to defend the family, to support the family, to encourage healthy families. Why? So that the kingdom of God will continue to expand in this community generation after generation after generation. This is why Satan wants to destroy the family. Because if he can destroy the family, he can eliminate the kingdom. Immediately after this, when the curse of sin comes on, uh, God comes and tells them, Satan, you're going to do a pretty good job on humanity. You're going to strike his heel, but there's one, the Messiah, who will crush your head. Amen. And Satan, ever since that curse, has recognized it's coming. Well, guess who Jesus said that he gave authority to trample on serpents, Christian? Did you ever put that two together? Jesus said, I give authority to you to trample on serpents. Satan said, ooh, the Savior of the world has just spelt my doom. I better get in and mess up their families. 
You better get in there and mess up their marriage. And so can I encourage. It, it, this is, I got to stop it. My goodness, we got service. I have heard all of my ministry life that the statistics inside the church are the same as the statistics outside the church. That 50% of people who get married get divorced. If every other airplane crashed, would you get in the airplane? <laughs> Think about it. No, I'll, I'll walk. Thank you. I, I don't need to fly. The Lord said, Lo, I'll be with you always. I'm not getting up no airplane. <laughs> That statistic is not true. In a life-giving, Jesus-worshiping church, that statistic is not true. September will be 20 years that I've been at Sand Springs. And I, of, the, of the families in this church, I, can, I can't even fill up one hand of how many has been divorced. In 20 years of pastoring this church. Amen. Now, if you're here and you have been divorced, I am not throwing stones at you. Uh, I just wish that you had been a part of a life-giving church that could have fostered your marriage and helped you along the way and worked through some of those old wounds, get you freed up. Y'all following me? Because most marriages fail because of old soul wounds. That's where much of that comes from. And then those soul wounds open up the door to the enemy, and he comes in and creates hell in your life and in your marriage. So that's why we're just going to keep preaching Jesus. We're going to keep fostering the family. We're just going to keep doing the work of the Lord. Amen. Father God, thank you for you have given us your vision. You have shared with us your heart. And Lord, we want to be about what you, what you want us to be about. That's it. Nothing less, nothing more. We want to be about our father's business. It's a big business. Saving humanity from the dominion of darkness. It's a, <laughs> there's plenty of work to be done here. I pray that every one of us would take serious our anointing and our appointing to do our Father's business. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.